Welcome to the Paradigm Shift, broadcasting on Brisbane's 4ZZZ FM 102.1 on Fridays at noon. We look at and challenge our society's current concepts, values, assumptions and practices. We show possible and existing alternative ways of being and doing. We are informed by the urgent need for social justice in our world. Workers of all countries unite. for the First Nations people. This is going on the Nami. This is Ian. Beside me is... Andy. It's been a big week in uh, the world this week. Um, today's show is going to be in part about repression. And the biggest news item, I think, of the entire week was the fact that the former Palestinian Liberation Organisation leader, Yasser Arafat, was murdered by the use of a radioactive poison called polonium. Scientists in uh, Switzerland have discovered this and his, uh, his wife, Zara, has come out and said, this is now a criminal investigation. We're going to try to find out who murdered Yasser Arafat. We've got our own brand of repression here in Queensland, and we've got some pretty interesting characters who are running it at the moment. Uh, the Attorney-General, Jared Blay, uh, the Premier of Queensland, Campbell Newman, and in the background we've got some funny characters like Clive Palmer, and, and it's just, it's just a, a mess. So to make some sense of it, we've got this skit that was uh, an interview that was uh, just one of our intrepid 4ZZZ newsroom journalists um, managed to put together this interview with Jared Blay. P-Shift interviewed the Attorney General, Jared Blay, about the rise to power of bikey gangs and his attempt to put their leaders in jail for 400 years. In introducing the toughest laws in the world, the bikey's Blay seems to have taken Monty Python's satire, the Piranha Brothers, to heart. What do you say to the bikey legislation being a smokescreen for the workers' compensation and draconian IR changes? Unions in this state are out of control. They are no better than organised criminals. Can the riot laws in this legislation be used against other groups? You're right, they can. 
Riot is a declared offence under Vicious Lawless Association's Disestablishment Act 2013, Vlad for short. Lex Watton was done for riot on Palm Island and subsequently muzzled from speaking to the media by parole laws. Do you agree with that? Of course! Lex Watton was convicted of riot. He forfeited all his rights to speak to the media when he did that. Human rights are a privilege not to be enjoyed by violent offenders. Does the bikey legislation make it easier to jail organised blackfellas? If they break the law, that mob at Musgrave Park had better watch out, especially at G20. You mean the Brisbane Aboriginal Sovereign Tent Embassy? Yes, and any of their associates involved in crime. Um, oh yeah, you've got to be a one-term wonder. What did you say? I said that you've just got to wonder. You know, won't the bikies just go underground and wait out the media storm? There is nowhere to hide for vicious, lawless associates of bikies. Whose idea was it to name the act after Vlad the Impaler of Transylvania? But that's just how it turned out. But are you sure? I mean, wasn't Vlad a devout Christian? Keep, keep religion out of it. The law is to protect innocent citizens from lawless bikey. By using laws that invoke the practice of impaling your enemies, by telling the world Queensland is prepared to institute excessive cruelty through mandatory jailing of bikies, how many have the laws jailed so far? Three. Is it possible that by passing the Vicious Lawless Association Disembellishment Act 2013 that bikies will emerge tougher and armed, sort of a modern-day Piranha Brothers? I don't know the Piranha Brothers, but I do not think so. Well, if I was a cop dealing with bikie gangs, I would be worried by this turn of events. Police have no reason to fear. Do you have any Vicious Lawless Associates as friends? Oh, well, uh, Minister, I think we should leave it there. Uh, that was Ryan Hadrick. He gets $2,000 a day for serving on the Commission of Inquiry into Child Protection, an inquiry the Attorney General himself set up. I think we should leave it there, listeners. It seems police are immune from Vlad the Impaler. I suppose the lesson is to know who are your friends and to know who are your enemies. You are on the Paradigm Shift on 4 Z, and that was an interview with Jared Blay, our Queensland Attorney General, or somewhat of an interview with Jared Blay, what he might say. He... We can't get him in the studio here at Paradigm Shift. Um, we have a a comment here from a a listener who is going by the pseudonym the masked one here, and a comment on the bikey laws that we might just quickly read out, and then we'll talk a little bit more about them. Uh, the the masked one says Newman's bikey laws are just another stab at taking that little bit more of our rights as humans away. The freedom of association and our ability to formulate groups of any time of any kind stolen from us yet again under the guise of making Australia a better place for us all. Nowhere on these new laws does it state the word or group bikey, yet it is this word repeated by our poisonous mass media time and time again, promoting the needed fear in order for us to hand over this important freedom without fight nor fuss. Anyone that has the slightest understanding of this capital system and the immediate and future turmoils in it will further understand why these needed laws are being brought in now in order to keep this stinking ship afloat just that little bit longer. The harder it gets financially for us all, the more we will group and protest against the common man's needs being slashed further and further to make way for big business to continue as long as possible unaffected. Like the ones before it, this is a corporate government working a corporate system, and our rights to freedom of speech and association are and will be 
more so in the near future, a detriment to its goals. Nothing happens in isolation, and one only has to look at the rising working class of most other Western countries and the struggles being fought on the streets these last two years, and know the fight will be here with us soon. This is preparation for those coming times, and we will see then what these laws are and how they will affect our ability to fight back. Signed, the masked one. It's a comment from uh, an amateur commentator, the average man um, on the street. And one of the things that was touched on in that comment was the fact that the while a lot of the, all the media hysteria has been about blackies and if you open up the Courier Mail, now you can find a section that is specially devoted to the, the blackie saga. While that's the sort of all the hype in the actual laws, it doesn't give any, uh, it doesn't specifically mention blackie gangs or anything. It, the definition of association is dangerously vague of what uh, a violent lawless association is. Um, you've got in the PDF, which you can read the whole thing if you are up for that kind of uh, masochistic ritual. Um, but that's, the, that's in the legislation, <laughs> eh? You're, you're going to read us from the legislation yeah, that yeah. was introduced. All right. So I'm going to, in the definition of the association that gives on one of the first pages, it starts off with a, an association can be a corporation or an unincorporated corporation. The worrying, the really worrying one is the last definition, which is any group of three or more persons by whatever name called, whether associated formally or informally, and whether the group is legal or illegal. So that takes us back to the street marches where um, a group of concerned Christians uh, were de de deemed to be illegal. Uh, they were arrested. This is when Bjorki Peterson banned street marches. So all they were was standing there in Queen's Park with actual candles and placards and they were deemed to be a group of, I think it was two or more in those days, might have been three, three or more people and they were deemed to be a illegal group and they were all arrested and put in the South Brisbane Watch House. Yeah, well, it's dangerously vague, even the, um, whether the group is legal or illegal, formal or informally, it's pretty much anybody. Mm -mm. Yeah, so it could be used against people such as protesters in, in, in the environmental areas? Well, this is... Um, I have... When uh, similar laws were introduced in Western Australia a few years ago in a, a similar kind of bikey gang crisis then, apparently one of the groups that was listed as a prohibited group was uh, Southwest Forest Rescue, which is a forest blockading crew, and that was uh, deemed an illegal group then. And it's so easy to see with the, the G20 on the horizon in Brisbane, the potential for this these laws, and they're serious laws, you know, you can guilty by association or you can have 15 years of jail put on top of your sentence. Um, so easy to see these being used against G20 protesters by deeming any G20 group a violent or lawless group. And the fact that Campbell Newman has come out and said we're going to equip the police um, as a sort of paramilitary organisation, that makes you worry as well because just ordinary people can be caught up in this. You know, you... Uh, they talk about the big uh, G20 demonstrations overseas and there's some people who have gone there for a political reason but also they've got homeless people just got caught up in the whole melee. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it's, e like, it's easy to see any kind of protest group can be could be deemed a, a lawless group if they're opposing the government and, and anybody associated with that... It, it really can be anybody, and in the atmosphere of the G20, when you ha you do have 
uh, police all geared up with their right gear. You've got protesters shouting. You've got um, it's an intense situation, and uh, people can get carried away in that situation. And where with these laws, if they are used, you could have people doing serious jail time, long, long periods of jail for um, for just anything, you know. And the most worrying part about it was on the night that the legislation was passed, you had both sides of the House supporting this legislation. So, you know, we don't have any representatives in the Queensland Parliament who is interested in the democratic rights of ordinary people, it seems, because otherwise why would they have a definition that could include anybody? Yeah, and even the the magistrates who've been standing up against it are risking the the wrath of of Campbell Newman um, for saying that the these people are like in their ivory tower, out of touch with the the safety of of everyday people. And anybody that's standing up for civil liberties or or basic human rights um, can can be demonised in this atmosphere. Also, maybe we might talk about this a little bit later on that same night there was draconian legislation passed that related to workers' compensation, which essentially meant that 50% of all those workers who go to work and are injured, 50% of them will not have a common law claim um, uh, for compensation under these new laws. And the other laws that were passed that night were the laws relating to industrial relations, which effectively means that Unions in the past have been an industrial group and they've affiliated with political organisations and the main affiliate, of course, has been the Australian Labor Party, but the laws say that that affiliation now won't be possible. There will be no affiliation between the unions and the Labor Party, their political arm. The other law that is very much concerning is the fact that union organisers are there is a great deal of restriction placed on them for going even near the workplace. So this government is trying to lock down all potential areas of resistance against these laws, organised resistance. Yeah, that's right. And um, one of the other things that's been in the news this week, of course, was uh, on Monday's paper, the picture of a man in a Glyphox mask and the word coward underneath it. And... The, the anonymous, uh, it was a so-called threat to, to Campbell Newman and uh, the, the hysterical way, again, that the media dealt with it was uh, terrible. But the, on the, the day after this, there was an anonymous march and in the wake of this kind of, uh, this video that was put on the internet, it was a, a video from Anonymous in Australia and it, it was talking about the bikey law specifically and then it ended with saying Campbell Newman expect us which is traditionally anonymous has done uh, cyber attacks on on organisations and websites and did he release some um, personal details of Campbell Newman and his wife is that what happened yeah Campbell Newman's home address was also released in a, a separate anonymous action um, I remember when um, Campbell Newman sacked the 14,000 public servants I heard stories about how his wife going to the Gap shopping centre uh, would be bailed up by angry people. So uh, there seems to be no escape. You can't, you can't retain your identity as the nice, warm, loving person if your government is actually going about taking away people's rights. 
Yeah, that's right. And um, you have to be accountable to the people somehow. Uh, even if you're in a, a government that's uh, one house and stacked incredibly, you've got a massive majority, you will always be accountable somehow. Hmm. So now with Anonymous, um, that was released, the video, then you started talking about the march. So the day after was uh, the 5th of November, which is Guy Fawkes Day and the Anonymous's worldwide uh, masked march. And in Brisbane, there was a, a huge participation, uh, surprisingly big and surprisingly small amount of cops considering the, what had happened the day before, I think uh, coinciding with the Melbourne Cup. The cops had to be policing all the drunk yuppies, but uh, um, there were, it was a huge march. But the, the real worry is that these laws are real. And, um, and if Anonymous was branded as a, a criminal organisation, anybody there wearing a mask is facing these laws, um, the association laws or these kind of sentencing. And um, I guess there were a lot of people there wearing masks, but there was certainly no attempt to hide people's identity. But we really have to be aware that of the potential impact of these laws and... Uh, I think it will be something ongoing between now and G20 especially. This will be something ongoing and something that uh, political activist groups will definitely have to be aware of. Okay. Well, this is the paradigm shift. It's 20 past 12. We're talking about um, the bikey laws and knowing your friends and knowing your enemies. Uh, so we might go to a song now. What do you got there? Uh, we have a song here. It's a new one from local punks, Punksy and the Poison Pens, and they have... Done the first song, as far as I know, the first tribute song to our premier Campbell Newman. This is the Campbell Newman song by Punksy and the Poison Pens. Campbell, you're the leader of the Queensland Liberal Nats, the biggest bunch of blood-sucking fat cats. You didn't win the election, they lost, and then you celebrate by cutting 40,000 jobs.
scream and wave a shout until those pigs let you out. Bernie's in the new town court. What'd he do? What'd he do? Bernie's in the new town court. He opened up a squat. Bernie, hold tight. Some laws aren't right, but we will scream and we will shout until those pigs let you out. That is Mel Who with, I'm not sure what the song's called, I just recorded it on my dictaphone while Mel was recently in town, um, but before that we also had the Campbell Newman song by Punksy and the Poison Pens. Coming up next is an interview that I did last week with Benedict Coyne. Now he is, um, I think he is sort of the front person for the Australian Lawyers for Human rights here in Brisbane. It's uh, Apparently it's a big organisation, uh, Australia-wide, and um, he's going to give us uh, some insight into the legal aspects of this Vicious Lawless Associates Disestablishment Act. Take it away, Benedict. Hello, could you please introduce yourself? Yes, uh, my name is Benedict Coyne, and I'm a Queensland co-convener and committee member of Australian Lawyers for Human Rights. You've issued a press release that says that the new laws in Queensland blatantly breach fundamental democratic safeguards. Why do you say that? We live in extraordinary times and uh, one of the cornerstones of fair governance is the separation of powers doctrine which is um, fundamental to the Westminster system of government whereby you have three pillars of government. Uh, The parliament makes the laws and the judiciary enforces the laws. Now, it's very crucial to democracy and uh, the mechanisms of democracy and the fair society and lucky country that we live in that um, the judiciary remains um, of the other two pillars of government. Uh, what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is some extraordinary laws being passed by the Queensland Parliament, which significantly infringe upon the independence of the judiciary, which is why we've seen on the front page of the Courier Mail today a um, stoush uh, between uh, one of the most senior and respected judges and the Premier himself. What is that stash? Well, I guess we need to go back. Under the, um, the Vicious Lawless Association Disestablishment Act, which was passed in the last couple of weeks, uh, and is affectionately known around the halls of Parliament as the Vlad Act, um, basically removes the presumption of bail. Now, Australian we're a national organisation. We've been around for years and we're a network of Australian barristers, solicitors, law students and judicial officers and we are involved in the practice and promotion of international human rights in Australia, uh, both as in education and also in uh, written advocacy to government and the UN encouraging adherence to basic international human rights standards. So the presumption in favour of bail and and similar to um, protections that come from the international human rights regime and filter down into our legal system in Australia, such as equality before the law, absolutely fundamental to um, how our system of government and law work and ensure that it is, is a fair system of government. So what the VLAD Act does is that it removes that presumption for bail 
and it's also largely removes the independence of the judiciary because it uh, creates a mandatory sentencing regime which on all the empirical evidence has been found to be ineffective. So um, a magistrate, I think, in Southport last week was not satisfied on the evidence by the police that a person who they alleged fell within the scope of the Vlad Act, a, a vicious, lawless associate of a, a bikey gang. Now, it's, while this is being portrayed as this war against bikies, and the Kurimal certainly declared a war against bikies, there's nothing in the, the Vlad Act that actually... The, the word bikey gang is not even used. So the reason that many civilians and civil libertarians and just people with common sense are very uh, concerned is because essentially this act and its very broad terms could be used to encompass any organisation that involves an association of three or more people and certainly there are, th th there are significant concerns for civil society to the extent that I've heard the phrase being thrown around, here we Joe again, some sense of deja vu in this state. How can there be a separation of powers when governments handpick judges? In, in, in terms of judicial appointments, that's something that's done by the executive uh, generally, and, and, and that would be the attorneys general in Australia would um, appoint judicial officers. And obviously the persons that are appointed are put up on the basis of merit and on the basis of their service in the profession and obviously their seniority. And ultimately decisions are made probably inevitably influenced by the politics of the day and of the particular party in power. Having said that, the concept of judicial independence is actually more about judges are charged with the onerous and important task of interpreting the laws that Parliament creates. They shouldn't be told how to interpret those laws. The body of law that goes to judicial and that interpretation forms the authority for doing that. But in terms of this mandatory sentencing regime, uh, with no parole, it's extremely concerning. And, and it does infringe upon Australia's obligations to the international community under um, various binding international human rights. But didn't Justice Freiberg say yesterday that he didn't know what to do in a bail application because the government seemed to be telling him what to do? As, as far as I'm aware, and I've only read reports, Justice Freiberg seems to have significant concern about disparaging comments the Premier has made about the judiciary would slur the public perception of justice being seen to be done by an independent judiciary in Australia, which is an absolute fundamental requirement of our democratic system. Comments that have been coming from the Premier um, in inferring that our judicial officers are apologists for pedophiles are just completely, I, I mean, they're completely outrageous. They're unprecedented. They, um, they have no basis in common sense. They're, they're an insult to the intelligence of everyday working Queenslanders, and they significantly dumb down the debate. I think that Queensland already has quite a malnourished democracy in the sense that there's a unicameral parliament, um, probably because there's such they seem to be carrying on as if they can do anything and, 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 and there's not as many checks and balances. My understanding is Justice Breitberg is concerned that comments that the Premier has made has muddied the public perception of an independent judiciary and he just wanted to be certain that either those comments had been retracted or if they had not been retracted, what arguments the prosecution were going to put up 
The Vicious Lawless Associates Disestablishment Act had bipartisan support in the Parliament. Now, isn't this just a smokescreen for far worse legislation that has been passed, particularly in the areas of workers' compensation and in the area of the rights of workers to associate together in unions, that is, the amendments that have been put in on the industrial relations legislation. One would need to seriously question the coincidence or otherwise of these very, very significant laws being passed in the same week. I've certainly heard reports, but I've certainly heard reports from parliamentary staff that after the work cover reforms, which basically removed people's common law rights to be compensated for significant injuries in the workplace, if, if you want to trace that to an international human rights instrument, it's Article 7 of the International Covenant on Economic, Cultural and Social Rights, which is about preserving a fair and safe right to work. It's, it's extraordinary. Um, people can be injured very seriously and they will never be able to work again and they won't be able to make a uh, common law claim for damages for that injury under the, under the new system. So absolutely, it, it could certainly be construed as a smoke screen. Um, apparently there was a, a celebratory party amongst LNP members late in the night when the work cover reforms were passed. It, there's also significant incursions on occupational health and safety, which again goes to the right for working Queenslanders to have a safe workplace, to allow union representatives to visit workplaces to ensure that um, they have a safe workplace. It's, it's, it's extremely concerning. There's absolutely no doubt about it. This is the Paradigm Shift. We're on 4ZZZ, um, and we were just listening there to... The Brisbane representative of the Australian Lawyers for Human Rights, Benedict Coyne. Now we will be going back to him. While Benedict has been speaking there, we've got we've had two calls. Um, it, the show seems to be generating some deal of interest. Uh, one 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 call is about uh, a suggested uh, music that we should play. We might leave that till the end of the show. Thanks very much for that ring in and. Um, it's a, it's a song called In and Out of Grace by Mud Honey. But then the second caller, he rang in. He, he said he is an independent Harley-Davidson riding bikey. And he said he's, come, he's 50 years of age. He comes from the Bjorki-Peterson era. And he wanted us to mention some of the other repressive legislation that's led up to this and to say that this is really part of it. Um, his comments were that... Um, the, the, um, the, the there's there's a focus on uh, people who are the word he used was deviants people who are or who are outside the normal category of what whatever mainstream society calls normal and he included in that group uh, people who have um, uh, an intellectual disability uh, people who are homeless and he said legislation such as that would prevent people from going to public spaces and he, and he said there was some legislation in the Bjorki-Peterson era which prevented those people from even going into a pub. Now, um, and we know the rules about not letting blackfellas into pubs here in Queensland. He said we should be also mention in terms of the conversation that Benedict Coyne's having there about unions, he should mention the repressive legislation that was introduced in the mid-80s called the Continuity, Continuity of Supply Act, which was just designed to destroy the electrical trades union. Um, and um, it, it, he says that we're on the money to, when we talk about the paramilitary aspects of 
the police um, and the the possibility that uh, it could be very harsh on on people. So we like to thank him for that comment. Um, uh, he said that one thing that in the bikey legislation that he wanted to highlight was the fact that okay in the legislation there's a lot about them their association about lawlessness about that side of it but he said there's no clear exit clause there's no instrument for them to surrender and say you know that i'm no longer a member don't come at me kind of thing and that has been uh in the news recently about uh, people sending back their memberships and their colors and how uh, almost boasting the both the media and Cam, you're always boasting that you can't get away that easily. Yeah, it's not good. Um, now we were going to talk next about Naomi Klein's. Her, she has a, a theory called the shock doctrine. It's um, it's a, a quite a famous book. It came out probably uh, five years ago now, and the shock doctrine is is a very interesting book, and I, I feel like you have to mention it when talking about something like this. Basically, the theory is the idea of crisis capitalism, that capitalism uses uh, the idea of crisis, so whether that's a natural disaster or a moral crisis or or anything like that, to then uh, further the the kind of neoliberal agenda. And Naomi Klein uses a number of examples. One of them is the Iraq War, and to talk about the the moral crisis of the Iraq War and the the way that it uh, allowed U.S. multinationals into not only the oil companies, but security companies and, and everything like that into Iraq. She also talks about uh, Chile in the 1970s, the Pinochet coup and the, the neoliberal agenda there that was uh, communism there was, I guess, the crisis. And in Australia, I feel like uh, both the, I guess we saw, we have seen in with riots, the Redfern riots or Palm Island as well, the uh, granting of uh, greater police powers from these, uh, crises, but the Northern Territory intervention is also another excellent example of this moral crisis that these laws that required repealing the Racial Discrimination Act could be seen to be justified because of this moral crisis. It was the uh, child sex abuse that was supposedly rampant in the Northern Territory. And just on that, um, until they actually performed the intervention with the military. I wasn't even aware that hidden in part of the Australian Constitution from 1901, there was actually a power hidden there called the race power that enabled them to actually send the military into the Northern Territory to send in those departments. So it sort of lay dormant there. You didn't, I mean, you knew that the Constitution was essentially the result of colonialism, but uh, along came this, this, what you're saying, this crisis. You know, they fabricate a crisis. They said that uh, children aren't safe. They imply that every black fella is a rapist or, or is, or, or is uh, molesting children. Bang, in they send the army. They send in all these different departments. And they don't find, you know, how many charges were laid? Three charges. And it's not only the uh, kind of restrictive laws that were put in the intervention because there was a strong corporate uh, agenda, like the basics card could only be used at two different stores. Um and the, the different contracts, the amount of money that went into the intervention was a huge amount of money. Uh, not much of it got to Northern Territory Aboriginal people, but, uh, but they were the, the, the initiation for this was like 
this crisis. And I think the the bikey laws as well, this kind of the state of kind of moral panic that the Courier Mail is helping to to fan is really uh, such a smokescreen for these laws coming through. And these laws, we both we and Benedict Coyne have talked about how scary the laws are, but the the atmosphere of crisis that's been developed has allowed them to go in not only without questioning, but with the ability to ridicule those like Tony Fitzgerald, uh, like George Freiburg, the people who are standing up against them, that these is, these people are seen as somehow traitors. And we now have the situation, almost farcical really, where in response to the Campbell Newman bringing in these laws and the Courier-Mail in their desperation to have a good Hollywood story that will sell papers, talking about how bikies are going to respond to the laws by killing cops. This is, this is a courier mail that's really spreading this. I don't know that there's many bikies saying and going, they're going to kill cops. But now you have the police requesting that they can take guns home with them, whereas normally you have to leave them in your locker at the station. And this is supposedly in response to their lives being in danger, but it's the government's laws that have put this whole process into place and this is what now we're going to have police walking around constantly armed uh, because of the laws that our government's brought in and this is uh, to watch the way that the the moral panic surrounding this issue has been used to bring in astonishing laws that otherwise wouldn't get in is quite scary. I think maybe we'll go back to Benedict Coyne. Uh, I ask him some more questions here about you know what can be done, what sort of things within the, the legal framework is possible. Um, so we might just continue on with that now. This is Benedict Coyne from the Australian Lawyers for Human Rights. So isn't there one law for some people, like the Rupert Murdochs of this world, and another law for people like Aboriginal people or workers, uh, people that are on the, the low end of power in our society? Without a doubt, there's certain power imbalances in society and there's absolute irrefutable empirical evidence of the fact that power is enforced disproportionately and that it often lands heavily on the heads of those less fortunate and that's why organisations like Australian Lawyers for Human Rights exist and the Queensland Council for Civil Liberties exist and why these fundamental principles are so important and as humankind has learnt through hundreds of years, centuries of, uh, of governance and has kind of created these these systems and, and, and quite marvellous systems of governance where, for the most part, we actually get on quite well together. But in terms of in the face of, you know, autocracy and authoritarianism, there's often a very fine line. And, and when significant but seemingly small incursions start beginning, like what's happening in Parliament at the moment, legal eyebrows are raised. It's all been seen and done before in history, which is why we've developed these very important protections that can't be tossed away on a whim. They're not mere optional extras. They're absolutely fundamental to our democracy and the operation of our democracy and our safety in the community. It's interesting that this whole thing is being drummed up as a, you know, community safety, tough on crime, that kind of line. Um, there's been studies and there's literature that is, um, conservative governments will come in, they'll make significant cuts to various public services. They will then create, well, in terms of the insecurity that's created from those cuts, they will then seek to capitalise on those, on, on those uncertainties caused by those policies by posing as able protectors of the public and a, a very hardline kind of paternalism in order that the community is made to feel insecure such that they 
believe the government's hardline and then they're made to feel safe. When both political parties, the mainstream parties in the parliament, agree on something like this, what can lawyers do? You're basically saying that these laws, the Vicious Lawless Lad Act, is in contravention of the Covenant on Civil and Political Rights because it no longer guarantees the opportunity to take part in public affairs, including commenting on such drastic legislation. It doesn't guarantee the right to equality before the law. It certainly doesn't guarantee the right to freedom of expression and association. So what can lawyers do when both sides of the parliament are as one? Well, I, I think firstly it's important to distinguish between the whole raft of legislation that's come through. So obviously the work cover amendments were not unanimously supported by both. No, I'm parties. talking about the Vlad Act. Anastasia yeah. Palaszczuk, yep. she yep. voted in that act. Yeah, so with the Vlad Act and, and in terms of conventions of Article 25, absolutely extraordinarily... Um, the whole uh, parliamentary committee and public consultation process was thrown out the window with no explanation. So that is a, that, that's a fundamental breach of civil society's right to participate in the affairs of its governors, its governing bodies. If you want to take a view of, you know, we live in a democracy, we elect our representatives, it might be quite an idealistic view. A lot of people become engaged and participate in democracy every three or four years, but it's certainly there for the taking for us to become more involved uh, visiting our elected representatives which has a huge impact including because uh, most australians don't uh, bother doing it and so when they do on particular issues you know sitting members really take notice so in in answer to your question i i would say that that it should be extended as to what civil society and all all, all persons can do if they're concerned and it's certainly um people need to start talking about these issues start discussing these issues start campaigning on these issues and start making movements to um, let the let their government know uh, how they want to be governed because essentially um, that is how the system should work. Um, Campbell Newman has certainly made references to that. People don't like it, they'll vote us out. I think if there's one criticism that can be made of Australian democracy, it's the lack of participation by the community and you know that comes down to a lot of understandable things like you know availability of people to get involved um having very busy lives but i think our democracy would be a, a lot healthier um if people had the time and ability to do that and also the ability to mobilize to um voice their concerns on significant issues um you would you know different cultures around the world are, are, are a lot more are involved, I would say, European and Latin American countries, for example, uh, than Australians, and that's probably got some historical factors and reasons for that. Um, obviously, the very other um, obvious answer to your question is um, if there was some magical wand where we could uh, reinstitute an upper house in the Queensland Parliament, uh, it wouldn't solve the problems because um, given the landslide victory of the last election, I'd probably have the majority in both houses, um, but it just adds another um, level of checks and balances. And I think it's very interesting that Jared Blaze with this um, Vlad Act and justified it saying there's a quote-unquote Senate majority that supports it. Now, that was when it first was passed. And apparently it's been polling and, you know, the majority of people do support it. The interesting thing, sorry, I'm getting to is that in terms of the work cover amendments, there was an LNP-dominated committee that spent months looking into and reviewing our work cover system. It, it, it was found in the report that they submitted to Parliament that it shouldn't be changed. 
it's a remarkable success, or it was a remarkable success story of a work cover system. It um, was profitable. It had the second lowest premiums in Australia. Um, by all measures, it was an absolutely brilliant system that everyone uh, was, on the most part, happy with. Um, some polling was done just before the laws were passed, and 80%, or actually 83% of Queenslanders thought it shouldn't be changed. So if Jared Bay is, on the one hand, talking up his silent majority to push through these very undemocratic or anti-democratic criminal justice laws, and on the other hand, he's ignoring the very vocal majority who are saying, do not change the work cover system, and we want to respect working people's rights, which is the majority of Queenslanders, we have a significant problem. This is the Paradigm Shift. We're on 4 Triple Z. It's Ian and Andy here today. We're coming up towards uh, 10 minutes to 1. And, uh, you know, every time I hear that name, Jared Blay, I just think, you know, someone should teach that guy <laughs> a little bit about... Well, even the law. I mean, they say that he's a bit of a conveyancer, but uh, I know talking to people in the Department of Justice who have got a little bit of legal experience, I know that they're a bit frustrated by this boy wonder from the Campbell Newman tent. Anyway, we're going to go really try to go from uh, the the absurd to the uh, the wonderful. <laughs> this is a, this is an ancient song. It's called The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll. It talks about how the ladder of the law has no top and no bottom. And um, so Bob Dylan did this song way back in the 60s when he was part of the civil rights movement in the United States and uh, it's got a few lessons in it for us so take it away Bob This case and criticize. 
no top and no bottom uh, in that song The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll by Bob Dylan we're going to go back now to Benedict Coyne from the Australian Lawyers of Human Rights and see what the lawyers can put up against this swathe of repressive legislation you mentioned earlier on Article 7 of, and yep. you said that that covers um, a fair and safe and right to work in the, so that every worker has a right to go to work and to come home uh, you know, safe and healthy Australia has, we have one death every week on building sites uh, Australia-wide. Now, that is not in accord with the Article 7 of the Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, 
We've had a bicameral parliament in the federal sphere that has passed laws relating to the denial of rights of people to a fair and a health and safe working environment. And the legislation I'm talking about there is the Australian Building Construction Commission and also yep. the work choices legislation. All of those pieces of legislation work against workers and their organisations. So what can lawyers do when you have parliaments that consistently pass laws against workers? Well, I, 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 again, I don't think it's just the question of what lawyers can do. I think it's the question of what we can all do. You know, the beauty of democracy is that it's meant to facilitate a governance system of how we all want to be governed. If people want to be governed by having their work rights curtailed and having um, significant incursions upon their legal rights to um, due claims where they've been um, innocent, you know, where, where through no fault of their own, they've been significantly injured in the workplace. Well, that's, you know, democracy prevails and that's the kind of system people will get. On the other hand, if people don't want that and if people want significant protections that have been fought for historically through huge mobilisations of people through Australian history, including lawyers running, um, you know, very innovative test cases, for example, for the, you know, the 40-hour week was not always part of the status quo. Um, people used to work far longer hours. Um, they had far less protections than they do but because legal cases were fought um, and and certainly equal opportunity in the workplace between men and women um, has been a very hard fought battle over many years and now it's pretty much universally accepted people would not say that we should go back to my mind it seems very bizarre that um people are, are unaware and and the history of working rights campaigns in Australia and, and, and you know, it's so easy just to take for granted what we have but if you look at what uh, the union movement has done uh, for many, many years um, it has um, fought very hard but successful campaigns to get us a very um, fair um, system um, but, you know, it's about people getting involved in democracy, it's about people getting involved in politics, it's about rather than thinking about the state of things Sorry to interrupt, but on that question, um, the wealthiest nations are going to meet in Brisbane in November next year at what yep. they call the G20. There's likely yep. to be large mobilisations of people who complain about what those wealthy nations do and how they control our lives, ordinary workers' lives. Now, yep. isn't it likely that the laws that you're talking about, against the Vlad Act in particular, is just going to be used against those G20 protesters? Well, again, and there's even more extraordinary laws before that. Um, it's been modelled for the G20 legislation in other parts of the world, which includes London. And as we saw yesterday, there was a report in The Guardian saying that, um, you know, eggs are going to be outlawed, kites are outlawed in, in, in a particular zone. Yeah, it's extraordinary. I mean, th th these times of, um, you know, corporate globalisation, where you have these meetings of the most powerful, it's... Um, it's very interesting to see the complete suspension of democratic principles and many human rights in order to facilitate these meetings. I think it's, it's extremely revealing of, you know, the situations we live in. But um, I, I'm, I'm not sure that becoming completely despondent is, is the best response. I think people need to be optimistic. We need to look to our history. We need to look to the successes that um, human beings have had, including, you know, the system we live in, and, um, and, and keep vigilant. 
If uh, people, the listeners out there, want to hear more or, or find out more, does the Australian Lawyers for Human Rights, is there a, a good um, contact that uh, people have a look at what these laws are all about? I would suggest just general internet searching. There's been a lot of commentary recently. Uh, the Australian Lawyers for Human Rights, we have a very...